Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Escape the ordinary with Green and Black's Organic Chocolate, sponsor of the Women's Podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour. Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. I've just come back from a very quick jaunt to Galway and I have to tell you, if you get a chance to go west to that city or if you already live near it, make sure you go and check out the Mirror Pavilion on Claddagh It's an incredible piece of visual art by John Gerard from Tipperary, who's sort of world famous, but probably more famous internationally than he is in Ireland. So this mirror pavilion is sitting there beside the water. It's a giant cube and on three sides it's covered in this highly reflective mirror surface. But then on one side it shows these straw boy characters in outfits made from corn doing sort of ritualistic dance walk thing. It looks like a virtual world with virtual people created by Gerard who is a bit of a genius. I can't really do it justice with words, but it felt like a once in a lifetime thing for my mother and I when we saw it. So that's our top tip from Galway, the Mirror Pavilion. It's full inside. The whole cube is sealed and inside there's all these computers and LED lights, which is what is making the kind of straw boy uh, representation on the cube. And it's his take and his um, sort of reflection on climate change. But... I hope all of that hasn't put you off. It just, it's a really wonderful piece of art and I would urge you all to go and see it. So yeah, that's our top tip from Galway, but also beetroot margaritas in Rubin restaurant. Uh, So basically you can tell, I think, from my voice that we had a very good time. It's exciting these days just getting on a train and going away for the night. And I think we appreciate these little jaunts so much more as the pandemic rumbles on. Now, speaking of my mother, we've got her back on this episode as the book club convened for the first time since early lockdown to discuss Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. It's a book that imagines what would have happened to Hillary Clinton if she had turned down Bill Clinton's marriage proposal. So Hillary without Bill, what would that have looked like? What might she achieved? How would her life have turned out? If you've been reading along with us, or even if you haven't, I think you're going to enjoy this lively discussion between our book clubbers, Bernice Harrison, Neve Towie and the aforementioned Anne Ingle. Here it is, back at last, the Women's Podcast Book Club. We're delighted to have our book club back. It feels like a very long time since we were assembled. It's lovely to see all your faces on Zoom. And I'm really excited for this conversation. I won't say what I thought of it yet, but I think it's going to be an interesting conversation anyway. So we are discussing Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. And she is a wonderful writer and I've enjoyed other of her books. But I'm just going to read the blurb to this one. Awfully opinionated for a girl is what they call Hillary as she grows up in her Chicago suburb. Smart, diligent and a bit plain, that's the general consensus. Then Hillary goes to college and her star rises. At Yale Law School, she continues to be a leader and catches the eye of driven, handsome and charismatic Bill. But when he asks her to marry him, Hillary gives him a firm no. The rest, as they say, isn't history. How might things have turned out for them? for America, for the world itself, if Hillary Rodham had really turned down Bill Clinton. 
With her sharp but always compassionate eye, Sittenfeld explores the loneliness, moral ambivalence and iron determination that characterise the quest for high office, as well as the painful compromises demanded of female ambition in a world ruled by men. Uncannily astute and witty, Rodham is a brilliant reimagining, an unmissable literary landmark and truly a novel of our times. Anne Ingle, I'll come to you first. What did you think of Rodham? Well, Roshi, when you first told me what I had to read this book, I was very dismayed because I have a problem with um, people uh, fictionalising living people. You know, I just don't like those kind of books. I'm, I'm not into that. I mean, either they did it or they didn't. I mean, I, I don't mind a biography, an autobiography, but trying to fictionalise something doesn't sit well with me. And secondly, I'm not very good at satire. It's the same kind of thing. I can't read the Phoenix or any of those things because I'm never quite sure whether it's true or it's not. I mean, it's my it's my naivety and ignorance, but that's the way I am. And thirdly, politics, American politics, just don't mean anything to me because I just don't understand it. I've tried and tried, but I really, really don't understand it. So there's all those reasons why I didn't want to read this book, but you said I had to. So as always, obedient mother, I did as I was told. <laughs> So um, I started to read the book and I couldn't quite come to terms with her as a person. And during the course of reading the book, I happened to upon Graham Norton's uh, program where she was actually a guest on it. And suddenly it all made sense. I felt her then. I said, yes, this woman, Curtis, whatever her name is, she really got her because there was Hillary on the screen talking to Graham and she was exactly like she was in the book, you know, um, as an old woman. So that kind of encouraged me, anyway, to keep reading. And also, the other thing was, when I got to the end of the book, I saw the acknowledgements. She had obviously done so much research into that woman. And the a lot of the anecdotes and things that we read about the book were obviously true, because um, I imagine that one, there's one particular piece where she has... Um, She's in the car going to a big meeting and her aide says to her, God, your legs are hairy, uh, <laughs> Hillary. And she um, has to get her legs shaved in the car by another person who subsequently sues her for it or gets very cross about it, saying it was harassment or something, being made to shave somebody's legs. I wouldn't blame her for that, really. But anyway, so those kind of incidents, I think, are probably things that actually happened. I, I didn't go as far as to watch that four-part documentary about her, because I thought that was going to be too heavy. So I didn't bother with that. But I generally feel that she has got your woman, uh, Hillary. But how did you get over your bit? Did You know the thing you say, because I have that as well. And I was a bit worried about that when I read this book. Why do I want to read about something that didn't happen, about a person that really exists in the world? I, it's too confusing. Did you manage to get over that as you were reading it? Yes, well, I found that the first part of it was probably... Um, easier because it was probably more like a biography, you know, because of those things actually really did happen, like the law school and, you know, meeting him and all that. I didn't really like him at all. I'd love to know what Hillary and Bill thought about this book, if either or both of them read it, because he, I didn't like him one bit. I just, I mean, apart from the sleaze, he's a sleaze as portrayed in this book. Allegedly. <laughs> Well, more than allegedly, I suppose, uh, when you reflect on the actual incidents that happened. But um, so I I really, that was my thing to know what Hillary and Bill both thought about that book. Well, tell me more about why you didn't like Bill Clinton, as if we need to know that, but just you might spell it out for people. Well, because he he thought that he was so wonderful that women loved him so much. But really, uh, you know, and he's a... 
claims about being so so in, uh, not being able to help the fact that he wanted to have sex all the time you know it was just part of him you know I, I mean get off the stage you know I mean every man is supposed to what do they think about it, every five seconds or something I think for women it might be 15 or something but anyway the thing is um, yeah I didn't really like him and I didn't like his behavior with other people and his constant uh, all into himself all the time and talking too much that's how, how he's portrayed in the book so that's why I didn't like him. He thinks he's something special and that came across all the time. So I didn't like him. Mum, when you came to the end of the book, were you glad you'd read it? Did you feel like... Yes, oh. I was glad I read it because, in fact, I did learn something. I learned about a bit more. I'm not saying I, I'd probably retain any of it. I'd probably be just as stupid after it all. But, you know, I did kind of get it to come to terms with this whole Senate and getting elected and all that kind of thing. I kind of got to know a bit more about American politics. And at the end of the day, I did enjoy the book. It wasn't a chore. I, I think she's a great writer. And um, it was like in three sections. And one of them you could like more than the others. But the sleazy bits were a bit sickening, you know, the old Bill. But um, the rest of it, I, I really enjoyed it. And I would love to think that maybe it, it could have happened that way and it would have been a, the world would have been a better place if it had I really loved the book um, because I was worried about it for the same reasons you were but then I had to I had to interview Curtis Sittenfeld and I really admire her she's written her other book American Wife sort of a fictionalised account of Laura Bush and I interviewed her and just I'm going to come to you now Bernice but I just want to sort of say what, what Curtis Sittenfeld said about for me it was like um, you know Trump winning in 2016 was so depressing for so many of us and this sort of reimagines a different way that things might have panned out I don't want to give any spoilers because I think that's unfair to anyone who hasn't, hasn't read it but that's why I kind of loved this book it was like an alternative reality that you know you, you could see painted out a, a what if that kind of thing but she says um, the reason she wanted to imagine this was that if Hillary had become president instead of Trump she wouldn't have written Rodham I had that experience of writing from her point of view and it was in the back of my head and then after the election I had this realisation that kids who had known Hillary was running for president often didn't know that Bill Clinton existed and so I did wonder that was the thing that made me write this specific novel what if adults had also seen Hillary as being totally separate so that was her motivation but Bernice I'll come to you now what did you think of this book? Well um Hmm. Now, I was, unlike Anne, I was really excited to read this because I'm a huge fan of Curtis Sittenfeld. Um, and also, it's a great big giant book, so millions of pages in it, and I was going on holidays, so perfect. I did watch the four-part Netflix documentary on Hillary. And to be honest, I hadn't actually thought about Hillary in in four years, really. But the Netflix documentary really brought her to the fore. It's the, the format of it was literally four hours of watching Hillary Clinton talk about her life from the beginning to where she is now. Just her sitting in front of a camera. And it was quite revelatory, actually. You sort of really got to know her a bit more and you got to see quite a... It, it, the, the documentary kind of humanised her in a way that she was, in a sense, dehumanised by the campaign, which definitely... The, the 2016 campaign, which definitely pigeon-told her as quite a different woman that, than she actually appears to be, certainly personality-wise. So so for the, all those reasons, I was excited. And then I started to read it. And the prologue threw me off so far that I, I was hardly able to get back. And and it, 
what I mean, I, I, that speaks to what you talk about, somebody fictionalizing somebody's life, the problems with that. And that was a problem I actually could never get over in this book. Because in the prologue, she it's all about how there was this key moment in Hillary Clinton's life when she was graduating from Wellesley, this sort of upper crust um, liberal college, university. And she was the woman chosen to give the, the, the speech on behalf of the students at the commencement address. And that was fine and she got up to do it. But she was so incensed by what a congressman had said prior to that, that she took him on. And and he was basically saying, look, girls, you know, you're grand, you're, you know, don't aim too high. And she, you know, rebutted that forcefully. And that was the start, in a sense, of her public life, because that was covered in the national papers. It was a big deal. And so then I opened the prologue and I'm reading about it and it's all in the first person. And I had just heard Hillary Clinton say that in the first person. And then I thought, hold on a second, what am I reading? So it was the first person that really threw me throughout the book because I thought, write about, imagine this life, if you want, um, create a political fantasy. And this, by the way, I don't think this book could have been written if if we weren't in the Trump era. This is a political fantasy for the Trump era. So by all means, do that. But don't use her voice. Why don't you use third person? Why don't you gain a bit of distance? Because... And so I started getting sort of slightly resentful of this, of of Sittenfeld using the first person, pretending to be Hillary Clinton. And I sort of felt it was an elaborate trick. I felt it was a cheap, an elaborate, cheap trick. And the, the concentration on sex in the first third of the book was so bizarre to me. You know, it was basically all about her. The first third of the book, which, uh, um, Anne mentioned it was in three parts. The first third of the book is essentially about her meeting Bill Clinton and falling in love. And you get the whole, uh, you know, sort of corny tropes of, oh, I'm such a plain girl. and He's so fabulous and he loves me. And anyway, and then there was so many descriptions of sex to the point that Curtis Sittenfeld was kind of running out of descriptors. So when it got to he plunged into me. I thought, oh, effects, I can't be reading this anymore. So that that sort of annoyed me. And and then it's sort of the worst, the worst crime. It bored me. And I sort of got really, really bored. And I'm not going to give away the ending, but I didn't believe it. As an arc, I didn't believe it. So if you take the, the premise, what, what would have happened if Hillary hadn't met Bill, married him, whatever? I sort of thought, God, what would have happened and the book doesn't really explain the ending. I felt the middle part where she's this academic in America, you know, she's an academic in this small college or in the university, you know, living a, quite a nice, quiet life, dutiful daughter. That's very well explored. Um, good friend, very well explored. Like, Sittenfield is brilliant about all that sort of stuff. And then the end, it's like, what? Wait, how did that happen? How? how what? So, uh, so I really felt, God, wouldn't it have been fabulous if this was a, a proper imagined novel and not this sort of half-assed political fantasy that instead posited, you know, she went off and become a trapper in the Yukon. I mean, she went off and did some madly fictional, fabulous thing instead of this thing that I actually didn't believe and I didn't know how she got there. So, yeah. So with result, <laughs> uh, I am the sort of person, as you know, that if I like a book, I press it into people's hands, whether they want me to or not. God, I left this book in the in on holidays where I was in Cork. I just thought, let let whoever stays in this house after read it. I I don't care.
Wow, that is a really yeah. damning um, result. But can I just, before I could bring Neve in, I just want to ask you about the sex thing because did you not feel the sex was all very crucial to the to the arc of the story where she turns him down? Like he displays himself to be, as, as my mum said there, you know, this man with sexual appetites that he has to have fulfilled and therefore Hillary knew that this was not the life she wanted. Hillary in this book, the imagined Hillary, said no to that. Did you not think it was important that that was explored and shown in really great detail? I thought, no pun intended, that it banged on for a long time. I mean, it. we got so many episodes. I eventually got, oh, I get it. I get it. He's a ride. You've great sex. Did I you get, not like stop. the bit where he plays the saxophone in the nude? Oh, like also, ew. Um, but anyway, um, so I just thought, enough. Like, stop it. Like, I've had. And also, actually, that was a very one dimensional view of her to put her just solely in this environment where of the sex with Bill. I, look, there was great things in their courtship, but there's one I thought um, when she goes to meet his mother, I love that. His mother's this southern weapon and she goes to meet the mom and and the whole the whole thing is positive that Bill is this charismatic. He's the big boy on campus. He's gorgeous. And Hillary is this plain Jane in the glasses and the misshapen trousers and the flat shoes. And she's just and she goes to meet the mom who's this southern belle, you know, made up at all times, you know. And the mom meets her, says, Hillary, you ain't pretty enough not to care. Uh, so, <laughs> so there was zingers like that. Look. Siddenfield is fabulous. There were zingers like that throughout the book. And that was terrific. But they didn't rescue me from this half-boiled political fantasy. No way. Okay. I loved your strong opinions, Bernice. It's great having you in the book club. Because when you love something as well, you really articulate that just as strongly. Neve, what did you think? I share many of the same feelings as Bernice. Uh, and, and though I will say we've spoken about the, the negatives, and which I... I, I did also find it really difficult to kind of get behind this fictionalized version of a real person. Um, I found it was kind of exploitive in a way. Um, and I think what the book is really great at is showing all the ways in which Hillary was ex- has been exploited throughout her whole career from her time in Wellesley until the 2016 election and beyond. She can't do right for doing wrong, basically. And that's explored in real depth in this book um like with real precision um and i think it really it's really adept at showing the accumulative effect of day-to-day latent sexism that she faces and has faced since she was a young girl here's this brilliant capable talented like amazing young politician she was always shaping up to be that way and yet we see like from the very first pages from i i just i marked out the first time you know, that the first really kind of blatantly roll your eyes sexist thing that was said to her was when, um, this is in the book, when um, <laughs> her and Bill go to California for a summer and uh, she works in a law firm and he kind of just bummed around not doing a whole pile. Um, but they go to dinner at her boss's house and uh, one of his colleagues says to her, oh, well, you know, you're not going to be working in law for long. Once you marry Bill, and you'll be at home doing the dishes. And OK, that, and that just happens throughout the whole book. There are these little moments where it might not seem that big in the day to day context, but they paint this picture of this impossible mountain she would have had to have climbed uh, in order to reach the top. Um, and that's inconquerable, really. And I thought that the book was really, really good at that, showing how impossible it was uh, for her to be likable. She's described as being, you know, unlikable and too stern. And yet she was worried that if she didn't come across as she didn't project her voice, that she would sound weak. And 
it was just so clear how impossible it was for her to achieve a balance where uh, she could be accepted as a leader. And I thought the book was really good at that. Um, and, you know, she, she really has this, um, I wouldn't say love hate, she's probably pretty much a hateful relationship with the media uh, where uh, she thinks they're all just trying to get, you know, they're all trying to twist her words into a short, snappy, interesting story when really there's nothing going on, which, of course, is what we do as journalists <laughs> a lot of the time. Bernice, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, I was just thinking what Neve was saying there. Um, you see, all that is addressed directly by Hillary in this Netflix documentary. She directs, you know, all this, all the sexism she met along the way, uh, her relationship with the media. So she addresses that there. So, so in other words, I didn't need Sittenfeld to, or anybody, to fictionalise that because that's already true and that's... You know, do are are we so? Do we need to? Do we need a story to be mediated in that sense? Do we need it to be sort of shaped as fiction for us to actually understand it? When the woman herself is well capable of saying, "No, actually, you know, I was treated very badly," and, and all the things that Seidenfeld has sort of framed as in a, in a fictional way, Hillary said, "Why not go to the source?" Green and Black's organic chocolate. A selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity. Anne Ingle, you wanted to get in there as well. Yeah, uh, I don't think Curtis has actually ever met Hillary, by the way. I saw an interview with her and I don't think she has ever met Hillary. But what, what I'm wondering is how would we feel about this book if we didn't, if it wasn't about a person that has been in public life? How would we have read this book if it was just a, a novel about a person yeah. in politics. That, that is an interesting point. And I don't think I would have haven't probably even picked it up. I mean, the whole thing is because it's her and it's him um, that we're reading it. Uh, but as a novel of, if it wasn't about them, I know that sounds a bit contradictory. No, it's a really but, good point. But, you know, I, I want to go back to, because I did, I think I liked it more than everyone else by the sounds of things. I, and I really did. I, I loved reading it. I was sorry when it was over because for what you said, Bernice, the political fantasy element, I really got into that. I loved this idea because I don't, okay, I just put my colours out. I don't know about you, how any of you feel about Bill Clinton, but I really despise that person. I, I don't like that person. I I hate that we're, you know, he's still someone who can command respect. And, you know, we talk about him in terms of the peace process. That's great. But what he did to Monica Lewinsky and the way he abused that woman and the way he has kind of managed to continue on in a privileged, privileged lifestyle, the way Hillary um, has stayed with him and continued to support him despite the absolute disgraceful um, manner in which he's behaved. And there, Monica is the one we know about. I, I, there's lots and lots of allegations around him being even more abusive to other women, but obviously they're not necessarily founded or proven. So just allegations. But I, I do not like Bill Clinton. And for me, reading the book, I loved that. I think that was what I, I was really on board with was here was a way of sort of imagining if he wasn't her part of her life, what could she have achieved? What could she have done? And I think that's where where I was willing to kind of really go into the fantasy and enjoy it, you know. That, that's where I was coming from. Did anybody else get that sense? Did anyone else feel about Bill Clinton the way I do? No, I just liked how he was painted in the book as kind of like, this, this, although he played a huge role in, in her having to overcome him, um, I felt like he was kind of, you know, he was, <laughs> he ended up being this rich billionaire in Silicon Valley. And 
he lived in a place called Knob Hill, which I thought was really hilarious. And uh, it was like really small details like that, which I really creased myself laughing at. But I wonder, does Knob have the same connotations <laughs> in America? Did Curtis know what she was doing there? Well, it exists. Knob Hill exists. Yeah, yeah but isn't, it's amazing that he lives there. Like, I just thought that was so funny. Um, and he's just painted as this kind of like reptilian sex addict. And he's just disgusting. I didn't see at all what was attractive about him or I, I didn't see how anyone else found him attractive from my reading of the book um, so uh, I thought like in a way she 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 did us a certain maybe you a service Roisin because he was painted in such a yeah, bad light in the I book enjoyed that. and that there was, there was something quite satisfying about that mm. um, to be honest I learned a lot from this book as well because um, Clinton was elected in 92 I think which uh was the year I was born. So I would have missed out <laughs> on all that Monica Lewinsky stuff, you know, in, in detail. Uh, I know, know about it, but, uh, you know, I was, wasn't um, fascinated at, at the time. And I felt like I, I learned a lot from this book. So I wasn't quite like, it wasn't quite carrying quite as much baggage whilst reading. But I, mean, I felt I really got a good read on it from the book, if that makes sense. Yeah, we could have a whole other conversation about the Monica Lewinsky thing, because at the time, if you think about it, you know, we've had Me Too since and we've had all this talk of how women are treated. But Monica Lewinsky was was not uh, given the sort of uh, support and protection of feminists and of people at the time in, in a situation where she was abused by this powerful, powerful man. And it wasn't framed like that at the time. So... To me, that's something that still needs to be, you know, it's only now we're kind of seeing that and and sort of almost apologising to Monica Lewinsky for not kind of, not us personally, but, you know, the likes of Gloria Steinem and the likes of other big, strong feminists at the time who didn't come out bashing for her when she was this most vulnerable, vulnerable young woman abused by this most powerful person in the world. And that's not the way it was framed. But, Mum, you wanted to get in there as well. Yes, I did. I was, to go back to the first part of the book, where she fell in love with him. Hillary fell in love with Bill, this wonderful, good-looking, everything person. Um, but the sex business, and she was into the sex as much as he was. She was loving this sex, my God, you know, drop the hat and all this kind of thing. Anyway, you like... Say sex again, Mum, why don't you? You haven't said it enough times. Why don't you just say sex again? No, she, do you want me to be on this book club or not? And ignore I'm, her. I'm just saying that. I, I'm trying to make a point here. I'm trying to make a point, right? Just be quiet. <laughs> So the first, that first part of the book, she's mad into this. She loves all this, dropping the hat, the whole lot. And even on the, the uh, oh, that terrible bit when he, she gets in the car with him and oh, it was a quite a long journey and there's a whole lot of it, just him driving. <laughs> Very dangerous, I would have thought. It's worse than talking on a mobile phone. But they did that in the car. But no, what, that's not the point I wanted to make. The thing I wanted to say was, she was loving it and loving it. Oh, it's great. But even they got to a, a point in the thing when she was saying... um you know, I'm getting fed up with this. Do you know what I mean? She wasn't, she she, she actually was getting fed up, apart from the, that she heard the allegation about him, but it was waning and it would, you know. I mean, everybody, you know, you can have too much of good thing, really and truly. And that's what happened to her too. So you know, I think it wasn't just the woman uh, uh, to coming up and telling her that he'd forced her. I think she felt, God, have I got to stick with this for the rest of my life? I think that's probably what she thought. Anyway, just saying. Yeah, you mentioned that allegation, the sort of the, the sort of pivotal moment where kind of Hillary realises she can't accept the proposal because something happens and we'll let people read about it. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, Bernice, do you get anything in what I'm saying about why I indulged the fantasy so much and why I got so much out of it? Do you kind of see my point there? I just liked, um, I like uh, Bill Clinton being reduced to this just very avaricious, kind of shallow, sort of not at all redeemable in a way character. And I liked seeing that written down. It just gave me satisfaction. Yeah. No, okay. No, well, no, look. Yeah, that's one reading of how she presents what happened to Bill Clinton. That's one reading of that. The other reading, and again, I'm sort of reluctant to give spoilers, but the other reading is that he's fabulously successful in his chosen field. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. And he's a flipping magnet to gorgeous women. Still, as an old guy. Do you think Bill Clinton reading this, though, would he not be, would it not be really annoying? That's what I'm hoping. I would think, first of all, he, for the first third, he's presented as this Total ride. This oh no. my god! And he then he sounds like such a horrible person from the beginning to me. He's such a fake. You know the bit where he's eating chips and mayonnaise, and he keeps he keeps ordering the chips and ordering the chips. Like he's a food addict and a sex addict from the beginning. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't want to go off to actually have sex with Hillary because he wants to order more chips. Yes, but the culture and ice cream. But the culture, chips, but the culture is really supporting him all the way through. The culture has supported him all the way through to the point that he's really su- successful in the first third of the book where he's this horrible person. He's not missing, he's missing in the middle third of the book, which is, uh, you know, arguably Hillary's time. And then when we meet him again, he's this fabulously successful, you know, on a global stage as well. He, you know, no matter what happened to him, he rose. Okay, I know I do take that, but I also think, I think his shallowness and his really the worst parts of what I sort of perceive. Obviously, he's just a very famous man. I don't know him at all. But what I understand him to be, I think he, she got that in terms of what I believe from what I've read about him in terms of, say, the Monica Lewinsky stuff and other stuff. I feel that is there, that kind of person you would not respect. Mm. He's not, you can't respect. He might be fabulously wealthy and successful, but could you respect this person? So funnily enough, I think one of my favourite scenes in the book and... Is it where she goes on the blind d- on the date with him? Oh she, yeah, that's awful. It's oh, excruciating. It's so it's so brilliant. It's so awful. You read it and God, Sittenfield is such a fantastic writer. Yeah, you you read it. You, you're and dying. If you're you're dying, you're 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 nearly collapsing with mortification. She has for her. the KY. She goes oh, back. We should tell people she goes to try and rekindle the thing with Bill just for one night, just for sex. She has KY jelly in her handbag, thinking this is going to be the night, and he just. He doesn't yeah. want her and well, he rejects the, her in such a way. It's also not so much that she's rekindling. It's more that she, in her, again, fantasy world, the the intense love, because, you know, you're the love of my life. She heard that so much in the first third of the book that she thinks because he is the love of her life and she still thinks it's the case. And, and it's just, it's so crushing, that scene. Terrible. It's just... I can still think of it. And I read the book I two know. months ago and I can still think of that. Yeah. It was so... Which I think we should, um, you know, that scene is perfect and so memorable. Mm. And we should kind of remember that this is Curtis Sittenfield is is a great American author. She is, she's writing at the top of her game. I think even though I know you've said a lot of negative things about the book and the premise and everything. I mean, her short story collection, You Think It, I'll Say It. I have to recommend it to everyone. I don't know if any of you guys have read it. No. Honestly, it's really brilliant, brilliant collection of short stories. Uh, she is really exceptional at writing. So can we go round maybe and maybe ask, would we be giving this book to anybody? Bernice, you've answered that. You left it behind in your holiday home there in Cork for someone to find. Mother, would you be recommending it to anyone? 
Well, I've been asking people, have they read it? Because I, I was like, I'm delighted to be here today because to listen to other people's views, because whilst I, I did enjoy it and I, I didn't get bored, I must say, because there were highlights that you've just mentioned, that, that scene, it was a particularly or particularly well done, but I, I did enjoy it. But I did read a review from The Scotsman where somebody said it was a, a dull exercise in make-believe, <laughs> which about probably sums up what Bernice is thinking. Uh, but no, I, I I wouldn't push it on anybody, but um, I would be interested in other people's views. And I did read it to the end and it enjoyed it, much to my surprise, as I said, because of the things I mentioned earlier. And what about you, Neve? Would you be telling friends um, your own age to read it? Yeah, absolutely, Roisin. Um, I Given that we've talked about all that negative stuff uh, uh, and my feelings around it being hard to get over the fictionalized part, uh, fictionalization of a, of a real person, I still found it to be one of the most enthralling, like really thought-provoking book probably that I've read in a long time, I have to say. I really didn't really know what I thought about it and probably still don't. I only finished it a couple of days ago um, and it's going to sit with me for a long time. It's quite an emotional read as well. I think as a young woman to read her story from, you know, that spans over decades and um, its its impact on uh, women in society and the impact of her story on women in society and everything that goes along with it. I just felt it was an excellent, you know, I, 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 really, I really, really found it entertaining. Not, not to forget about the fact that I also did, I, I, I found it difficult to square off how Hillary must feel that this book exists in the world. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, it's there, mm. uh, and uh, I definitely, I definitely would recommend it to to my friends. Okay, and I wonder. I mean, I think what you alluded to there, Neve, about whether Bill or Hillary will read it or have read it. It's a fascinating idea. I'm sure they must have friends, like you know, saying here's a copy, or or have they just kind of done a said, don't talk to us about that book. I wonder. I'd love to know. Roisin, is there no way that you as a journalist can find that out? I mean, can, can we find that out, please? I want to know. Can you not do that for me? Well, I have Curtis Siddenfield's email address from the interview, so I might ask her. She's a very, very um, interesting interviewee and uh, just a very thoughtful person. I really enjoyed talking to her and I'm a big fan of hers and I did love this and I haven't read American Wife, but I'm going to go back and read that American too. Wife is fantastic. You will so enjoy it. Do you think, Bernice, if they did, if if they had fictionalized this, as in if they had just changed the names, like with American Wife, how we all know it's about Laura Bush, but uh, it's still the names are changed or whatever, do you think you would have liked it a bit more? I think I might, actually. That's an interesting point, Neve. I, I actually do think I might. I think I might have got over how exploitative it felt and how much of a... Uh, sort of a trick. I I think I would have, because I learned so much from American Wife. I learned so much about, you know, these wealthy, blue stocking East Coast people. I just learned so much. And I I learned nothing from this book, from from Roddy. I I, I think from speaking to Sittenfeld at that time, um, the reason why she felt she had to go into that first person and be was because there's so much, whatever, whatever about Laura Bush, who we might not necessarily have known quite as much about as a public figure, she was able to kind of create a different character but with with Hillary Clinton it would just be impossible to change the name and go on with that story so she made that decision quite early on and and stuck with it because for that reason I think so and which you can understand for sure that makes sense because in fact if she had fictionalized it we'd all just be saying oh that's Hillary Clinton you know like the fictionalization of such major characters I don't think would have worked but it's funny how people don't have that same complaint about American Wife 
but yeah, I suppose granted that there's so much out there about Hillary, her life is already, I suppose, a caricature of a person that it's hard to get away from that and that has already happened to her. Well, um, as always, a really interesting discussion. I'm sure some of our listeners have been reading it and hopefully it might make some of you want to read it. I, th- I think it's great. And uh, we've had different views. And I mean, a, a lot of what you've said, Bernice, I think a, a people would share as well. There's a I mean, there's a literary ventriloquism. I think that's what it's been described of. And whether you you just didn't feel you wanted that because you already had it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, and um, that it didn't add anything because um, of that. But I liked it as a fantasy. And I liked kind of, yeah, I liked, um, without spoilers again, but, you know, Bill not getting necessarily what he wanted from a very early age. I kind of enjoyed that bit of it as well. Anyway, as always, very nice to talk to you all. Uh, thank you, Anne Ingle, Neve Towie and Bernice Harrison. And we'll come back to you soon with the next book. And we'll we'll come to you sooner. We had quite a big break, just lockdown and everything. How have you all been getting on, by the way, in this strange transition-y kind of time? Well, Roisin, I've had my ups and downs over the course of this whole time. Um, I've been very despondent during that real hard lockdown. But if you ask me how I am at the moment, well, do you know, I'm being very um, economist, uh, much to my surprise uh, myself. Um, I am accepting the fact that I, if I go out and I get on a bus, I wear a mask, I go into shops, I, get a, I wear a mask, and that I am limited in some of the things I can do. For example, I can't just drop into the IFI and see the latest film. Uh, there are things... I, I could tell, but I can go into a restaurant and meet a friend for lunch. And there are things that I can do. So I'm kind of at the moment looking upon this as just a phase of life and trying to be as positive as I can. I mean, I don't want to spend the next few weeks coming up to Christmas in despondency. I'm going to carry on as if it's not really happening, but I'm wearing the mask at the same time. So I, I hope I hope it's not going to, I know it's going to drag on for a while. It's no good saying it's not. But at the same time, let's try and keep upbeat about it and just make it just as part of our lives now, just for a little while. This time next year, maybe everything will be fine. But until then, don't let's get too down about it. That's the way I'm feeling. And that's what I'm trying to do for myself. And I hope everybody else can rise to that. Although other people might have more difficulties than me, but still. I'm fed up with the whole thing. I really am. And I think facing into the winter, you know, I, I really have a real sense of for now facing into the winter with this. But in a sense, I'm, I'm with the kids going back to school this week, I'm really aware of how lucky I am because I don't have school age kids going back. So I didn't have that anxiety. And I think that must have been really hard for people. Really hard. So I didn't have that. So I've been... So in a sense, I'm actually really lucky in the things I haven't had to deal with. But at the same time, I just think, oh, crap. I know. And Neve, you've just moved into a new home. So that's good news. Happy news for you. Um, but how are you feeling in these still really uncertain times in terms of covering COVID as well as a journalist? Yeah, I suppose even the house gave me um, so much anxiety. We've obviously been going through the process for a long time and we were nearly there. We were nearly moving in and then. Then we thought, oh, no, it's going to be a recession. We shouldn't buy the house. And what are we going to do? And then we moved home to Roscommon um, while lockdown happened. And I really enjoyed it down there. And all of a sudden, all these possibilities became, you know, like, oh, maybe we could live down. Why are we buying a house in Dublin if we could live down here? And it's just really um, anxious kind of period of not knowing, I suppose. Yeah, similar to Bernice, it's kind of hard to face into the winter now knowing that, uh, we can't even go down to the pub like 
or do any of those things. Um, and it's it's hard to watch people you love suffer and uh, not do the things that they want to do or that makes them happy, not be able to be with their loved ones in times that they want to. I find all of that kind of deeply upsetting um, and like just worn down from it all. Not me personally, but I find that hard to watch um, and hard to square off. And I just wonder how long we can all do it for. But I suppose we don't have any choice. And I feel like everyone's been so resilient and it's been incredible to watch how much we can put up with, you know. And from, yeah, from a work point of view, covering it day to day, I work in the new, in, I'm part of the newsroom team. And uh, yeah, there's been days where it's been a little bit overwhelming where you just want to step away, but you can't. You want to turn off the push notes on your phone and you can't. Uh, so that can be difficult. But then equally, like you flip a coin and, you know, it's very, as a journalist, you want to work in times like these, you know, you want to be at the forefront of this kind of these decade defining eras where um, things have changed irrevocably. Uh, so that like that's been satisfying from a career point of view as well. So, yeah, mixed feelings about it all, but I'm doing I'm doing good. How are you doing, Roisin? I'm uh, well, the kids went back to school. Uh, so that was, as you say, a bit tricky. And they were starting a new school as well, which gave another layer. Um, but you know they seem happy enough, and I'm really ha- I'm sort of was glad for them because it's nice for them to be with other people except us because we've kind of you know we've been this. It's been very nice in a way just having all that quality time which we would never have had. So that's been lovely. But I really feel that sense of socialising, the needed to be out with other people their age and just back in a bit of a routine, you know, because everything was. So I'm happy for them, and um, but I, yeah, I think the same as you guys. Just it just feels all very. You know, I think there was a gung ho thing, you know, when we were all doing what we were told, we were all together doing the thing and it's just gone on so much longer, maybe than people thought six months, maybe I wouldn't have necessarily thought that was going to be it, but we probably should have all been thinking like that. And now I'm kind of going until there's very clear signs that everything's over. I'm not even going to think about that. I'm going to presume that next year is going to be sort of more of the same. And that's kind of a bit of a, you know, that's a downer, like you say, for people's plans being on hold and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I have to say, there's still a lot of good things I find out of it. I mean, I think I was probably doing too much before, going out too much, thinking I needed certain things I, I that I don't, that I know I don't need now. So there's a lot of philosophical, you know, reflection has gone on, I think, for everyone, which is really interesting that it's allowed. But ultimately, it's been so, and I mean, the worst is still to come in terms of e- the economics and unemployment and how it's going to affect people's lives. So that's all to come really you know the covid payment isn't you know going to be lasting forever and all that stuff thanks so much to Anne Ingle Bernice Harrison and Neve Towie and we'll be telling you our next book club choice soon that's all we have time for today keep in touch with us on email the women's podcast at irishtimes.com or on social twitter instagram at it women's podcast the podcast is produced by me Roisin Ingle and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound take care of yourselves and I'll talk to you next time Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.